I'd like you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 1. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 and Colossians chapter 1. We'll continue studying on deliverance. Deliverance. Being set free, being rescued from demonic powers, demonic controls, things that depress, oppress, things that confuse or drive you backwards, drive you down, make you want to give up and quit, things that just harass the human race until a lot of people live miserable lives. We want to be delivered from that, but we won't be delivered from that if we don't know who's behind it. And so we're not only wanting to know who's behind it, I'm sure you do. But I guarantee you tonight there's a lot of people, a lot of good people in a lot of places that have no clue as to what the problem is in their life or their family or in a lot of ways their church or other things that they're involved with. That there is something going on and it's the devil, but they don't know that. They just think it's just a problem that everybody has in life. Nobody has an easy road through life, and that's true. But they don't fight back. They don't know how to fight because they don't know they're supposed to. They don't even know who they're fighting. Now, that's tragic because your life then is just one dismal day to a, a good day and maybe some brighter days ahead and then more of this and more of that and your life becomes consumed with fear. You're afraid of this, you're afraid of that. Your only hope is in a pill or an operation or a drug or a credit standing and that's all you got. And a lot of those people too come to the end of their life without any true and deep assurance about heaven because somewhere in the living your life in the religious setting that you're in, and I was in one, you just sort of put to sleep with religious ideas and cliches. You never really count on them because they're just ideas. They're supposed to make you better people, but they don't really affect your life with what we call deliverance from what was before. As we'll see later on that, you know, a lot of people's problems either stem from their family tree or from their childhood. The children are very vulnerable. Things can happen with being an unwanted child born out of wedlock or an orphaned in some way and there's a spirit of rejection that comes in your life and you become bitter about things and it's hard to please you. And You would never make the connection that behind all of this is the work of the devil. People just wouldn't see that. And if you said, well, that's the work of the devil, in this modern era, people would think, well, where'd you get all of that crazy stuff? Because people have just learned to live with problems today. They don't know how to cope with it to be delivered from it. Now, I said all of that to help you find 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. It says about Jesus, For this cause the Son of Man came into this world, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, that's one of the reasons, and probably the main reason, that Jesus came into this world, to destroy the works of the devil. That's especially true when you realize all the ways the devil works all the things that he does. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, it says, Who hath delivered us from the authority of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now that's all past tense, isn't it? 
We have been delivered. There was a time in which legal deliverance took place. That whatever the devil had done, Jesus undid it. So that I no longer have to be subject to what used to be. Because now everything has changed. I can partake of something better and something new. And I don't have to be bound anymore. I don't have to be bound. I might have been bound. My family might have been bound. I don't have to be bound anymore because my Bible says I have been delivered from the power, or the word is authority in the Greek, from the authority of the devil. He has no rights to me. He has no rights to you unless you give it to him. My people are destroyed. Why? For lack of knowledge. They didn't know any better. They didn't know this was true. Nobody ever taught them. How could you deal with something that you don't even know what it is? The Bible says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And concerning deliverance, Isaiah 5.13 says, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's like Proverbs 11 says, through knowledge, through knowledge shall the just be delivered. So we are in pursuit not only of what this subject of deliverance and the kingdom of darkness is all about, but how we can escape it, us, our children, our church, and how we can live above it and never allow ourselves again to be opened up to it. Because I don't want to be bound. I don't want to be held captive. I don't want to be another casualty of the devil. Now, the Bible talks about the kingdom of darkness. First Peter chapter 2, 9, remember, you remember the one about living stones? He said, we have been called out of darkness to walk in his marvelous light. We've been called out. Now, whatever is meant by darkness, and obviously the word has to do with obscurity, uncertainty, things not clear, wandering, you can't tell where you're going, you can't see, you exist, but you can't focus on anything. You're in darkness. He said, we've been called out of that. Now, you can stay in it if you want to, but you don't have to because you've been called out of it so that you can walk in his light. You walk in his light, you can see where you're going because he lets you see it. He opens your eyes to see where you're going. And when you see where you're going, it's hope. It's what we call hope. It's glad-heartedness about what lies before us. And the devil's hidden that from us. Heaven was always a maybe or a hope so or who knows. And one day God brought us out of darkness and he said, look there. You can have this. And boy, we got excited about it, joyful about it. In Ephesians chapter 6, to update you from last time, Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 6 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. And then these words in verse 12, against the world rulers of this spiritual darkness that's in the world. When men can't see clearly what God is saying, that men have been lulled to sleep and they're no longer interested in what God says. And we've been called out of that. That's what we wrestle against, but that's what we are fighting. Essentially, there's three attacks of the devil. One is to seduce. Remember 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, 
In the latter days, many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. How can that be? It happens all the time. It's people will be seduced or drawn away by the influence of the teaching that doesn't come forth by the Spirit of God, but it comes forth by another spirit, which in fact leaves you uncertain about the Word of God till you're no longer sure. And when you're no longer sure, people say it like this, well, that's kind of cloudy. I can't see that. And it's a form of darkness because, again, obscurity is what happens. Another word is it beguile. As Satan beguiled Eve. Remember 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, it says, As a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, I'm concerned that your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And to be beguiled, it comes back to that cloudy thing about darkness. You just can't see it. And you know what? When you can't see it, you don't think about it. You don't deal with it. And this is whom the devil, when the Bible says the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he can devour, he's looking for that person whose mind is out of a spiritual gear and just willing to accept about anything they hear. And then this is when these seducing spirits, these are spirits, these are real personalities. I mean, they are everywhere. They're looking at all times in any body there where there's an opening. They don't care if it's your children, an infant, or grandma, or grandpa. These spirits are constantly at work under the direction of the devil, because they're called demons or evil spirits, and their work is to kill, steal, and destroy. And this is just one of the ways that they do it. The other word up here is, is to deceive. Let me tell you how a lot of deception will happen in the last days. Would you go to 2 Thessalonians 2 and then Revelation chapter 12? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. Talking about the Antichrist in the last days, the end times. It says, and then shall that wicked be revealed, that wicked one be revealed. Verse 8, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working, this is the Antichrist, after the working of Satan, how? With all power and lying signs and wonders. There is at this present moment, I think the Christian people are being set up for signs and wonders. It's like people are tired of hearing the word of God. Now they want to see something happen. Everybody wants to see wonderful, miraculous things take place. They did it in Jesus' day. Jesus said, you're not here to hear me preach. You're here to see the miracles. But he performed the miracles anyway because in that way in his day, it attested to who he was. Nobody else was doing that, but he did. It was proof, sincerely proof, that he was the son of God. But... In this verse here, he said, when this Antichrist comes, he will come with lying signs and wonders, and a multitude of people will disregard whatever he's saying because he hates God. But he'll do signs and wonders, and he will mislead many. In Revelation chapter 12, the other verse I told you, look in verse 9, it says that the devil will go about in the same time doing this. He said he goes about to deceive the whole world. 
deceiving the whole world. How does he do it again? Go to chapter 13 of Revelation in verse 14. And it says, And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast and so forth. And the whole world's going to watch this because of the modern technology that in this last day is just flooding the world. So the distance from one end of the world to the other end of the world is nothing now. And by the time he gets here, the things that are so modern and update today will be obsolete then. I don't know what exactly they're going to be, but I know it's going to be spectacular. And it's going to be wow like that because that's how you bewitch people. You get their attention in such a way that, whoa, and they get captured by all of this. Again, they disregard the source. They disregard what the source is saying or where the source came from. And they just get all enamored with the miracles and the signs and the wonders. They're doing it right now mildly in the charismatic world. If you can do a miracle today, you've got yourself following and a book to be written. It doesn't matter what you teach. Like I said the other day, one that worked miracles in Florida a year or two ago was the talk of the world, I guess. People were traveling down there, just glowing reports. It didn't matter that he was having an affair while all of this was going on, that he finally divorced his wife and married this woman and then told people that he lied about some of the things the Lord told him. It didn't matter that that was going on. Only thing that mattered was signs and wonders. Now, again, I'm all for signs and wonders, as long as they're legitimate. But I refuse to get overboard about anything if it's not given by the Lord. Amen. It's too easy to capture people's admiration. That same man that did all of that is now starting again in a church in North Carolina, they tell me, I've heard. Because people don't care what he did. They don't care how immoral his life has been or the lies that he gave just as long as they can see something. People want to see things. This is one of the ways the devil is going to do his work. Look in chapter 16 and 14. For they are the spirits, this mouth of the false prophet, for they are the spirits of devils, demons, demonii, working miracles. This is what they are, working miracles. Now, let me ask you a question. Can the devil work a miracle? So he is able to do that, isn't he? That he can use lying signs and wonders because there is a real market for that. And he knows that. And he knows that if he can perform a miracle or his prophets and whatever can be empowered to do those kind of things, that people will follow them. That's when you begin to mislead people. It's Deuteronomy 13. He said, if that prophet or that dreamer of dreams comes along and he gives you a sign or a wonder or he says something and it comes to pass... But then he misleads you, it would say in the text. He misleads you by things that he's teaching to draw you away from me. And you start following him because he did wonders. He said, you won't follow him. God is proving you to see whether you love him or not. If you love God, remember we talked this a long time ago. If you love God, you're committed to him. If love is anything at all, it's commitment. Not commitment on the basis of performance, but commitment on the basis of who you are whether it's your husband, your wife, or God. It's commitment. And so God wants to see who you're really committed to. 
But I want you to know tonight before we get going that all of these things are happening in the last days. The world doesn't seem to know any of this. They don't seem to be alarmed about a lot of things. And there is a woeful neglect of teaching on this subject. We've heard it so much, it seemed like I've heard this subject all my life. The first really new teaching I ever heard after I got saved was alongside how to trust God was this, deliverance. And it was an outstanding eye-opener to me. I began to see things because I wanted to be taught. I listened carefully, took notes, and studied it. I really wanted to know what this was about. God opened my eyes. I began to see my own family. I began to see in my own life the things that I was allowing and tolerating in my life. It was nothing more than the promptings of the devil. And all the worthless, trashy things I thought, you know, you got to pursue in this life, they're nothing. And my life began to change because I began to make decisions. I can't do that no more. I won't do that no more. And the more you do that, you begin to get delivered that much from glory to glory to glory. You get delivered here, you get delivered there, you get delivered there. You keep working on it, and God just begins to set you free until you not only get free yourself, but you're able to help other people. You can say, well, I know what you're going through. I've been through it myself. Now, here's what the Lord showed me, because that's what you folks are sitting in here for. You're all little deliverers. You're going to go out and help set this bound society free. Spiritually blind people are those people who Good people, again, who want to know the truth but can't see it. It's in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 8. There's a real good verse there. Ephesians 4 and verse 18. Paul wrote it like this. Ephesians 4 and verse 18. Having the understanding darkened. Now, he may be speaking here about the lost, but in a sense, it could refer to a lot of saved people, spirit-filled people. He said, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. Does your Bible say something like that? Don't you think that's tragic in light of the fact that life is very short? The longest years of your life are the first 20. I can guarantee you, I'm on my third 20s, on my third set of 20s. And the first 20 were real slow, and the last one is not fair. But... He tells us here that being alienated, separated, cut off from the life that God gives. There is a life that God gives. There is a way you can live on his terms, and it's available, and it's offered, and people can't see it. They can't see it. Maybe the preachers can't see it. Or if they can see it, they're afraid that's just overwhelm a congregation. So they are alienated from the life of God through ignorance. Who's the author of ignorance? If you go back two books to the left, 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4, you get another piece of light there. Somebody has blinded the minds of those who believe not. Who is it? Who the God of this world hath blinded whom? Let me ask you all a question. You can read that verse. Then whom does God declare is blind? Now listen to it and then measure yourself that the devil has blinded the minds of those which believe not. Because if they were not blinded by him, what would happen at the end of that verse? The light of the glorious gospel would shine in. But the God of this world 
has blinded people's minds. The word blinded means to blunt. As one commentator said, to blunt the mental discernment. You can't get it. You can't put it together. I hear what you're saying. Enjoy all of that, but it doesn't fit for me. I don't get the picture. I don't have an understanding of it. That's the work of the devil. Maybe to bring you into a place like this and get you distracted. Maybe you got things to do tomorrow that are very important. Maybe you messed up today and you're grieving over that. Maybe you got this to think about. Tomorrow's of this or next week is this. And boy, and then you come to church and your mind is distracted or kids around you are making a lot of noise because their parents let them make noise. And the devil will do whatever he can to keep you from hearing the truth. Trust me with that. Whatever he can to keep you from understanding what, he, what God is saying, the devil will attack you in that area because he doesn't want you to know the truth because he knows this. If you know the truth and you see it, and when you see it, you really want it, and he knows that you'll start moving in that direction, and the power the devil had over you all this time in your life, he has to let go of you because we have a new inheritance. God has brought us out of what? Out of darkness to dwell in his light, marvelous light. Amen. Now, we're engaged in conflict. Last week, we talked about categories of demons, the various categories. There's more than, many more than I spoke of. But there are all kinds of spirits, agents of the devil, who do nothing more than go out to corrupt, to mislead, to defame, whatever they're called to do. There are spirits of infirmity. There's blind spirits, deaf spirits, dumb spirits, bowed backs, lunatic, palsy, you name it. The Bible describes all of those things as the kinds of the work of the devil. We would never in this world, medically speaking, ever see that physical ailments are spiritual matters. That just wouldn't occur to intelligent people. They would think what a dumb statement that is. And yet Jesus never, ever, not even once in anywhere in the Bible ever dealt with, in the New Testament, never dealt with physical things with natural means. I mean, he spoke to people. He spoke words to people. Somebody said, well, what about putting clay in somebody's eyes? Well, I don't think there's any healing power in clay. I think when Jesus spat on the ground and he took that spit and made some clay and then packed it in somebody, I don't think there was any healing power in that. So then why did he do it? You'll have to ask him because I don't know. I just know that when he spoke, spirits left. And his first message in the temple after he was identified in the wilderness and the devil had tempted him for 40 days and couldn't defeat him. When Jesus came into the synagogue to preach, a spirit, Mark chapter 1, stood up and cried out, we know who you are. They've always known him. He's the creator. Didn't he create those things? All things were made by him. They know who created him. The devil knew who he was. We know you. We know who you are. He said, have you come to destroy us before the time? Because they know that he can and he will. There's a lot of power in whom we're following. There's a lot of hope and peace and comfort in being on the Lord's side. In truly living in heavenly places with Christ and dealing with the devil the way Jesus did. We are engaged in a great and spiritual conflict with unseen spiritual forces. 
It's a kingdom of darkness. And we're engaged in that very real war because these demons have personalities. They know what fear is. They cry out of fear. Bible said the demons concerning Jesus, they deal with him with fear and trembling. Devil is terribly afraid of the Lord because they know he has the final say. Again, he made them. He created them. He has the power and authority over the devil. And you think of it, when he put his spirit inside of you and he took his residence up inside of you, if you live on his terms, they have to fear you as much as they feared him. And when you walk in newness of life, you can walk in power, in time power. You don't go around looking for the devil. You don't have to look for him. He's close. But one thing you should be armed with as a Christian, in light of all these various and sundry verses in the Bible about demons, demons coming out of people, they don't come out unless they're in, but demons aren't always in people. Sometimes they're around people, encouraging, whispering in their ears. One thing you've got to realize is that the enemy you're facing has already been totally defeated. He has been defeated so that he cannot be anything like he used to be because he has been totally defeated. We'll turn to Colossians 2. Everything that you have to deal with in this life concerning the devil and demons, the greater one is in you if Christ is in you. And the devil can never, ever be greater than that. He cannot. He cannot. Now, Colossians chapter 2, there are three things here that I want to deal with tonight. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 and 15. Three things that Jesus did. These are things that he did for us. Remember, he said he came to what? Destroy the works of the devil. First, in verse 13, he said, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having what? Having forgiven you all your trespasses. The strength of the devil and the strength of the law is sin. When a man sins, he enters into the devil's domain. He leaves God's. Isaiah 59, 2, you've heard that before. Your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and God that he will not hear. Sin is offense to God. It's when you rebel against God. It's when the devil whispers in your ear, well, you don't need God. You don't need to trust him for that. You don't need to... Just depend on him all. You can, hey, you're smart enough. You know how to do it on your own. And then you go about doing your own thing and then you sin. When you sin against God, you're separated from God. Now the Bible said Jesus forgave us of all of our sins. Now none of us could count them all. I had more than anybody. I had more than anybody who's ever lived as far as I'm concerned. Chief of sinners. Some of the really ugly things that we've done in our lives, ugly things we've said, ugly attitudes that we've had. And we came to Jesus, and he forgave you everything. 
you've been forgiven. All those charges of your past, the devil keeps trying to bring back an old experience you had or remember that time. Oh, boy, you're forgiven. That's the first thing it says that he did. He forgave us all of our trespasses. Secondly, in verse 14, he said, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Now, what does that mean? He made an end of the law as a means of how we relate to God. Now, I don't think ever the law that has been abolished as far as having any meaning to us. Because almost all the New Testament is revealing what was written in the Old Testament. There's a saying it used to be that the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. So you can't just take the law and set it aside. But here was the problem with the law. The problem with the law was it simply told us what was wrong and what sin was like the Ten Commandments. They're holy commandments. They are pure and clean and holy. But Man, in his weakened, sinful state, he violated them. And there's nobody that didn't. But there was no provision in the law for forgiveness. There was nothing you could keep, no observance you could observe, no bull or calf you could offer. There was no feast day you could attend in Jerusalem three times a year. There was nothing you could do to get rid of your sins. The law held us all under sin. We were all lawbreakers. There was none righteous, not even one. It took man a while to do that because the Bible said the law became a teacher. The more man realized that every year on the great day of atonement that there had to be a sacrifice for their sins every year and the priest. And man began to put it together. Well, we are hopelessly mired down in sin. We can't get rid of it. All we're doing is just covering it over with the blood of an animal, but it still exists. God's willing to tolerate us because we're observing his law as best we know how, but we're still sinners. Now, the book of Romans speaks much about this. If you'll turn over to Romans for a moment, chapter 10, 7, and 6, those chapters. Romans chapter 10. And verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. There is no legal set of rules we have to follow anymore. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. Do you hear me? There is nothing we can read and then do and then be right. You can't do it. No man ever has. Because if you break one law, there's no way to get rid of it. And you take the Ten Commandments. I mean, who hasn't broken them? I mean, how about the last one about coveting? Has anybody ever not coveted? Committed adultery? Well, no, I've never done that. Have you ever thought upon a woman to lust or a man to lust? Well, I guess normal people have. Well, then you're an adulterer. Jesus identified the law like that. 
You never murdered anybody. You never killed anybody. But you've been real angry with your brother or your sister or your mom and dad or somebody. You're just really angry. He said, that's the condition that murder comes from. And when you've done that, you might as well say you're a killer. You're a murderer. And people throw their hands and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Then everything I do is wrong. Well, you're getting the message, aren't you? You're getting the message. As he said, not one man in the world, not even one, is right. There's not one righteous man in the world. There are many people who observe the law, not the Pharisees, not Jews, nobody. Everybody was wrong. But we knew our wrongs when God revealed to us his law. Oh, wow. But Jesus came, and you know the story well. I hope that you do. He took our place, and he went to the cross. And in our behalf, in our place, he died for us so that we could be redeemed from the curse of the law. But he could not be held by that because he himself was sinless. But he was this lamb who was offered. How do you know what a sin offering is? The sin offering had to be a pure and spotless lamb examined. Even its entrails were examined. They had to examine the whole thing. It had to be pure. And it was offered because it was pure. It had nothing to do with sinfulness or the sin of a man except it was offered in place of the man. And the sins that I'm guilty of, they were imputed to that lamb so that they're no longer me, they're put over on him in type. This is type. And the lamb was the bearer of my sins. It was a substitute. It was a substitutionary offering, the lamb was. My sins were imputed to him. He was never guilty. He just simply carried them. And on the basis of his willing to do that, God was willing to accept me if I follow him. This is what he did. He became our right way, right standing with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.30. He has made unto us three things. One of those things is righteousness because nobody can be righteous. We're accounted righteous. We're viewed as righteous by faith in Jesus. We have done nothing to make ourselves right. We have only accepted the conditions for what is right by faith. We believe it. And therefore, then he's accepted us. Chapter 7 of Romans and verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. You should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. As I mentioned the other day, that's why we're on this earth, to bear fruit. If we don't bear fruit, then we're, we're not doing what we should do. We have become dead to the law. In other words, the law has no longer any rule over my life. I don't throw the law away because I read in the law about how holy God is and, and how holy he wants me to be. And I see a lot of prophetic fulfillments and things that are forecasting that are coming. I see that in the law. But as far as the law and my personal relationship with God, the devil cannot hold me to obeying a set of rules and regulations because that's not how we live. Not anymore. Right. We've been set free from that. Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. Notice what he said there about sin. He said, For sin shall not have dominion over you, 
For you're not under law, but you're under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You don't even know what sin is until your eyes are open to see it. If you don't know what it is, if you've never really been taught, or if you've been taught, you never paid attention, you can walk in sin and not know it. You'd be a dead man walking or a dead woman walking. Sin dominates so many people. You can listen to what they talk about, how they talk about it, the way they conduct their affairs. I think the root of all bad sins is rebellion. I don't need God. I don't need for God to tell me how to run my life or how to live and how to conduct all of my affairs. I'm pretty smart. I don't know how to make it through life. I don't need to belong to a church. I don't need to be in one. I don't have to have anybody teach me. I'm smarter than all that. That's a rebellion. That's a rebellious spirit. It happened in the garden. When the devil came to Eve, he said, didn't God make Adam the ruler? Wasn't Adam given dominion? I mean, he was God's visible representative on this earth. There was nobody else that was given the freedoms and the assignments that he was given. And what did Adam do? Well, God gave him a wife, of course, and, and that made him happy. And one day, here came the devil. Now, there's only one way the devil can destroy Adam and rob him of his dominion. Only one way that the devil can take what Adam had and make it his own. And that's sin. Sin. It's sin in the form, to me, of rebellion. So he didn't approach Adam, but he approached Eve. Now, I didn't write this. And so he approached her and he asked the question, hath God said, you know the story. This is the way it works. It's just a very comfortable little question, a little persuasive influence. Hath God said, and then these words added to that in your thinking. I mean, do you really think you have to do all that? Do you really think we have to live that way? Or, or I guess you think you're going to die and go to hell if you don't do that? Try to make you turn away from his law by saying, well, you know, surely not. Well, then don't worry about it. Do you really think God intended for you to live such a little narrow way? I mean, look at the dying people in this world who need your love and attention, and here you are trying to... Walk some rigid thing that God puts you. Come on, relax. Now, we live in a world in which people are giving up their convictions. They're getting so calloused by the sins of this world. There was a time in my generation, and you know how many hundred years ago that was, before plastic, before radar. Are y'all still in here? I'm just telling you how old I am. I'm not that old, but I mean, that was before plastic. And there was a time in which this one movie, one time, it was a long movie, a bad word was used. And he said, frankly, my dear, I don't care. You know, gone with the wind. And there was a word, the D word was used. And we just, I mean, mothers grabbing kids' ears and shutting eyes and, oh, no. Now, that's how particular a generation was two generations before you all. 
in which marriage was esteemed a holy estate and very few people really divorced. You just worked it out and you lived that way. I mean, people didn't go in the debt over their heels. My mom and dad bought a house on time, bought a car, but lived frantically to pay all of that off. It was a different sense of values. They weren't as easily enticed in some things as they are today. You get hardened, though. The first time you heard of somebody living with somebody, you mean they're together and they're not married? Where's the law? I still remember when I was a kid, if they caught somebody like that, somebody would call the police. And today, the police and people just live together today, and it's getting worse. Now they're living in groups today, like animals, like dogs or cats in some alley. And nobody really loves anybody anymore. It's all about lust. And let me tell you something, you get hard to that. And the devil's doing his work in this last days, and people are getting calloused. Well, after all, you know, man I know let his son bring his girlfriend to the house and live with him in the house. And uh, it's shocking to me. Shocking. And the excuse was, well, you know, they're going to do it anyway. I mean, they're going to do that anyway, so at least I know where they are. I guess that takes the sin out of it or something. Why not let them get drunk? They probably do that too. What else are you going to let them do? Because you just cave in. See, you get calloused. Or the daddy that smoked pot knows his son is going to smoke pot, so he tells you, you're going to smoke that stuff. You smoke it in the house so we can keep an eye on you. So you well, hey, Pop, what's happening, you know? And you get calloused. And the next thing you know, you see it happening across the street or with somebody you know, and you think, well, you know, everybody's doing that. And it's no longer, a, no longer something you pray about or if you have a chance, you know, you shouldn't do that. You just sort of, well, you know, that's their business. And, uh, you know, these are the last days. Men's hearts are going to be hardened. There's a demon that promotes that. They work in little groups and gangs to promote that, to take away moral purity. Well, you know, we're going to get married anyway. And then that's like it's okay? Like the Bible doesn't have anything to say about that? And you go to church every week and that has no meaning to you because the world is violating that on a regular basis so you don't have to follow that? What kind of demon are you harboring? There's a death penalty at the end of all of this. Y'all hear me? There's a death penalty at the end of all of this. But I'm just trying to describe, this is the work of the devil. Just to close people's eyes, turn people's heads, and not say anything about it. Preachers don't either. They don't want to lose people's presence. And if their kids are rowdy and acting up in the world, you can't say a whole lot about their kids because then their parents would be offended that you singled out their kids because of their sins. They're not going to say anything about their sins. Next thing you know, the church just begins to go sleep and fall into a slumbering nothingness. And the preachers no longer say what they need to say because the watchman becomes what they call a dumb dog. They can't bark. That's the work of the devil. That's one of the ways, one of the subtle ways that he works. But the devil has done his best 
to corrupt a whole nation of people and world, and he has. Now, back in Colossians 3 again, I said, we have been delivered because, one, we've been forgiven of our sins. Two, we've been separated from the law. And thirdly, it says in verse 14 that he spoiled principalities and powers. Do you see that? Verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In what? The cross. The significance of the cross in the New Testament is the place where the redemption of our lives met the judgment of God. Jesus took our place at the cross and he bore the curse of the law for us because he was the offering for our sins. He was not a sinner. He was an offering. He was the lamb of whom? God. So did God prepare an offering? In the form of his son, which was God in the human body. And he offered himself without spot to God. And we were forgiven. But what happened there also at the cross was that principalities and powers were spoiled. Total irremedial defeat took place at the cross. Spoiled principalities and powers. Remember the story about the strong man in Luke chapter 12? The Bible says when a strong man is armed, he keeps his palace or he keeps his house. And all of what he's got, all of his possessions are secure. It's a picture of the devil and holding the whole created order in bondage. And then Jesus said, but when a stronger than he overtakes him, and he is the strong man, when a stronger than he overtakes him, he takes from him his armor wherein he trusted, and in Jesus' case, he led captivity captive. He spoiled principalities and powers. That was you and me. Everything the devil had put us under, Jesus got us out from under. Everything the devil laid on us, Jesus got it off of us. Because you see, back to the garden a while ago, when Adam surrendered to the lie that Satan gave to his wife and said, you should be like God's. Wow, he got his eyes off the word, yielded to the devil. The next thing you know, sin came in. And when sin came in, death came in. Adam began to die. It took him a while. It took him 900 years to die, but he began to die. And every human being ever born, every human being ever born was born dying. Of course, you grow up and all that, but the clock is ticking from the day you come out of the womb until the day you go home. All because of sin. Every funeral you've ever been to is what sin has done to mankind. Adam wasn't made to die. Adam died because of sin. He betrayed his authority and stuff over to the devil. Now, God didn't just whack the devil and kick him out, but he bought it back. He bought it back. He sent his son into this world who paid a ransom, gave his life as a ransom for you and for me. He went to the cross as a lamb to the slaughter, and he opened not his mouth. And Jesus said, no man can take my life. I'm giving my life. And when he died there at the cross, the curse was broken. You know, it used to be a lot of talk about whenever Jesus died, then he had to go to hell and suffer in hell. The pains of death and demons were cheering down there because they had, there's no cheer in hell. 
Let me tell you something. One place no devil wants to go is, is to hell. Hades, the pit. He knows he's going. They know they're going. They don't want to go. So there's nobody down there having a good time. There's no such thing possible for anybody to be in that awful place rejoicing over anything. They're all screaming. They're all beside themselves. Mark 9 says, where their worm dieth not, their conscious living never ceases. There's always torment forever and ever and ever. What an awful place. And to think that the mass of humanity has been talked into going there. What is going to happen to the ministers when judgment day comes and five to 10 billion people are going to point their finger at him and say, why didn't you warn us? And he will say, because I was scared of what you would think if I warned you. There'd be no lying in, in this day. Nobody's going to lie judgment. Why didn't you tell us about this place? Well, I wasn't sure of it for one thing. And besides, I know if I talked about it, you all might not come back. And I wanted your money more than I wanted you. And they perish forever and ever and ever. The thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy and to think he did it so easy. We were so vulnerable, so gullible. We gave in so much. But concerning the devil, it says in Hebrews 2 and verse 14, it said that Jesus did this. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise became like us, became a man. That through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Did he do it? How do you know he did it? Because he died, many men died. How do you know he did it? God raised him from the dead. The greatest single event that has ever happened in all of history, in the, what we call time, the most spectacular event that's ever happened was not the birth of Jesus. It was the resurrection of Jesus. That put a seal of approval on his life God wouldn't raise a sinner from the dead, but he raised Jesus from the dead because he was without sin. He went and heralded the release to the captives, and he led the Ephesians 4, said that he led captivity captive after that. He that ascended was he that first descended. Some interesting thinking. There's some teaching in there. And he announced, I am he. You wrote about me, I am he. They weren't suffering. They were in a place called paradise. He took them to heaven. Matthew 27 said that after his resurrection, remember, many graves were opened and people saw people they had known but had died walking through the streets. Isn't that interesting? So this is what Jesus came to do. And he did it. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Then he said this. In John chapter 20 and verse 21, when he appeared in that room in the upper room, remember that? He just appeared after his resurrection. They test him and saw, and he showed the signs that he was infallible proofs that I am he whom you saw die on the cross. And as I told you that I was coming back, here I am. You are free. And then he said these words, as the father hath sent me, John 20, I think it's 21, as the father has sent me, so send I you. Now, time out. 
as the Father has sent me. What did the Father send him to do? What did the Father send Jesus to do? Remember our text, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8? 1 John 3, 8 said, For this purpose the Son of Man came into the world that he might what? Destroy the works of the devil. As my Father has sent me. Now, Jesus legally, legally triumphed over all this. He legally dethroned Satan, spoiled him, took back what he had captured, that's us, and gave us liberty and freedom. And he says, now, you do the same thing with him that I did. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he will remain seated. He's gone to heaven, seated with the heavenly Father until, until, until we put his enemies under our feet. It hadn't happened yet, but it's got to be happening. And when we put his enemies under our feet, he's coming back. Jesus is coming by because there's going to be a group of people in those days who are looking at nothing, not the economy, not the presidential, not politics, not the world's wars. They'd be looking for Jesus. And unto those, those few, because Jesus said it was a few, to those that look for him shall he return. And those who are looking for him shall be caught up to meet him in the air. He's not coming back to the earth at this time, but in the air. And we'll be caught up to meet him in the air. There's great discussions about that today because a lot of people don't believe that. Oh, we're going to be here when the bad stuff comes. Well, pray that you'll be counted worthy to escape that. Just pray that you'll be accounted worthy to escape that. That your life is a living testimony to I'm learning, I'm seeking, I'm walking, I'm trying to live, I'm trying to put right in the right place and put wrong out. Lord, I pray that you'll be counted worthy to escape all these things because Jesus is coming back. But my foe, your foe, our enemy, our adversary, the devil, has been defeated. He is not going to be defeated again by Jesus. He has already been defeated. Jesus, who commissioned us to go into the all world and teach men to observe all the things whatsoever he taught us to observe includes Mark 16, where he said, And these signs shall follow those who believe in my name. They will, one of the things he mentions, they will cast out devils. They will cast out devils. Now you're living in a world that is seething in demonic activity right now, tonight. You've probably grown up around it and didn't recognize it. From nightmares to things that overtake people, they try to hide it with drugs, nervous dispositions, all kinds of physical ailments. Nobody would ever say that's the devil, but it is. It doesn't just happen. There's two kingdoms, light and darkness. The thief comes to kill and to steal and destroy to make miserable, to torment, to blind. That's the work of the devil. Now, we live in, in a time that's never been like any other time as far as I'm concerned. Electronically, politically, the crises in the world, the death and stuff and earthquakes and famines and time of wars and all this stuff, plus Israel is back in its land and they have recaptured again Jerusalem, Back quite a while ago, the clock is ticking. And it's us. It's given to us as Christians 
to overcome our enemy and defeat him, to put him in his place, to get him out of your life, out of your children's life. Hopefully, if you're a parent or a new parent, you come to the place where anything in your house going on that is not right, you know it's the devil. And you deal with it because it's the devil. Can't find your keys. Well, who would ever think that's the devil? I can't find them four or five times in a row. One day I couldn't. I thought, now, whoa, whoa. I said this, something like this. Wait a minute, time out. I'm on to you, devil. Now, I want my keys or a checkbook or whatever it is I couldn't find. I'm not going to put up with this and you're not going to do this. Now, in Jesus' name, get out of here. Something like that. And just a little bit of time after that, I found my keys. If I hadn't found them, I wouldn't have said all that begin to realize all this stuff, your car breaking down all the time, always being broke and can't sleep at night, physical things, and it's the devil. How about headaches? Oh, I have headaches all the time. Well, you don't have to. Out there in tape land, amen. You don't have to. You have to stay with it. Because the devil doesn't always go the first time you tell him to go, but you have to stay with it. You have to do that. Now, in closing, listen to me. The weapons of our warfare, we're in a war. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Because we're not fighting a carnal warfare against flesh and blood. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. Does your Bible say mighty? Now, you need that. Yes, we struggle. Yes, 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 yes. We do have our struggles. Yes, we do have days that are long and difficult. Yes, yes, and more yeses. Yes, there are such things as tribulation and trials. It doesn't mean you have a demon. It means there is one harassing you. You can't cast out the flesh. You have to overcome that. You have to know that the weapons that you have, God says, are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations, that's those mental thoughts and casual ideas you have, that hardness of things going on, an unwillingness to take a stand, of letting things go, of turning your head, you know, imaginations, mental things. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. If they speak not according to this word, cast it down. Get it out. If they speak not according to this word, bring what you hear to the presence of the Lord residing in you. The word is what you use. And let the light of that word shine on what you heard to tell you if this is right or wrong. Well, that preacher said that, you know, he did a wonderful miracle. I saw a leg restored or a limb or a tooth or an eye. Wow. But, you know, he said a couple of things that I didn't get. It. I mean, it didn't sound right to me. You better be careful. Remember, during the prophetic movement, I didn't say pathetic. I said during the prophetic movement back in the very late 80s, right after the deliverance movement in the mid-80s was everybody had to go through deliverance to deliver some knots in pine wood. There was so many crazy things tormenting the devil by reading the Bible to him. This stuff like that that people were teaching, something unique and different, making somebody, whoa, the new whatever message. But all these things that we have to deal with and all these things that are going on, 
you have to recognize that behind the scenes, bringing confusion, disorder, and corruption is the devil. Now, if you don't see that and you walk out of here, then you're vulnerable to be a victim. Now, one man in the Bible who was, his name was Judas. His name was Judas. In John chapter 13, it said this in verse 2, that the devil put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus. Now, Judas didn't have a demon in him. He was a thief. Jesus said he was a thief. He carried the bag. He obviously was stealing out of it. And he also worked miracles and preached the gospel. Wasn't he sent out two by two? Did they not go preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick, cast out devils, so on and so forth? He was one of the 12. And the Bible said 11 of them didn't come back rejoicing. He said all 12 of them came back rejoicing in Luke chapter 10. They were sent out and they came back and said, wow. And Judas was one of them. And here it is in the last hour at this last supper. They're going to wash feet here in just a minute and break the bread and all of that. The Bible says at that time that the devil put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. How could he do that? 30 pieces of silver, that's a new car, isn't it? A new donkey or something. 30 pieces of silver, look what you could have. You could have some new clothes, maybe get a credit card finally. 30 pieces of silver. I mean, okay, so you have to work all the time and you can't come to church. Look, you're making money. I mean, it's, come on. Just begin to put things in different places, not in the right place. And so he starts there. He puts a thought in your mind. Well, nobody would ever know it. We're going to get married anyway, aren't we? Don't you love me anyway? Okay, so, uh, you know, they didn't see it. Well, don't tell. You back in that guy's car. Hey, everybody does that. Just stuff like that. Just think about it. What happened in verse 27? After the sop, what does it say in verse 27, John 13? What happened to Judas? Satan entered him. Now, did he have a devil in him then? What did the devil do? It didn't make him a lunatic. He still hung around the disciples, didn't he? He wasn't frothing at the mouth. He had the devil in him, not a demon. This was the boss. He came in him. A spirit entered into a human body. It did not radically change anything. He still walked and talked. He could still make sense and do whatever he was doing. But he was on a road to destruction, and everybody is like that. And he betrayed Jesus with a kiss, walked out, Lord, Lord. And he kissed him. And so that's the one they knew to crucify. And you know what, folks? The devil begins with thoughts, ideas, looking for that mind that's out of gear, that's not spiritual, maybe religious, but not spiritual. And he begins to put ideas and thoughts in there. And almost always, there are things that lead you away from God. And in the end, when Judas realized what he had done, what happened to Judas? He committed suicide. 
Because the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. Guard your minds and your hearts, but know this. I have been liberated from the power of darkness. I belong to God. He is my Lord, my source, my king. And the devil is under his feet and under my feet too because I am seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, make us to know who we are and what we are in Jesus, that we are not defeated, that we are not helpless, that we are more than conquerors through Christ. Help us to know that and not just memorize it, but to know it. Help us to take this to our hearts. Give us understanding of it. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.